myself again But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn You look back and it's all in the past Good evening, welcome to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith. Second show of the night and I'm delighted to welcome Kevin Gallagher to the show. Good evening, Kevin. Good evening, Steve. Good to have you. Fun. It has, mate. Dear me, how it's been donkey's years, but uh, we, don't, we, don't look any, we don't look any older. Oh, yeah, I'll speak for yourself. I've still got hair, son, Josh. Just hanging in there. Good stuff, mate. Good stuff. Well, good to have you on. You know the uh, you know the theme. You've seen a bit on Twitter as well. Lots of questions coming in. And what I'll try to do is get through the Twitter questions first, uh, and then we'll uh, we'll dive onto the chat. Lots of questions coming in already, which is great. So a big welcome to you. Um, let's start off with one which isn't Newcastle related, and it's Keith Roll on Twitter, who says, "Please, can you ask Kevin what it was like to score the winning goal against Barcelona, and also to reach the UEFA Cup final with Dundee United in 1987?" Wow, that's not bad from getting something from Newcastle as well. Oh, to be fair, it was, it was brilliant for me because I was a young lad, I was 20 years of age. I was playing at a, a club in Scotland who weren't seen as one of the big hitters, or even though we were, we were managing to, to beat the Celtics and the Rangers. Um, we weren't seen like that, but around Europe, we were well known uh, and teams feared us. And, you know, when we drew Barcelona, you're thinking, wow, this is unbelievable. But we got them at a good time because Terry Venables was a the manager. They had Mark Hughes and Garrett Lineker, so they kind of they had a little British feel about them as well. But they were going through a little bad spell in Spain, so it was kind of a good time for us to get them and draw them in the quarterfinals. And you kind of thought, well, we got as far as the semi-finals of the Champions League uh, a few years earlier against Roma and got beat and got knocked out. So this was a big chance, and to actually start that game for me was was unbelievable and. The atmosphere at home was even better. And I mean, I thought I scored, and even I staying and I watched the videos, I thought I scored at the start of the second half. I didn't realise it was the start of the first half. And I mean, that's how quickly the game went through for, for a young guy. And enjoyed it, I enjoyed the experience of it. And it was an unbelievable chance. You know, it was, it was one of those opportunities we tried to keep the play quick. And we worked on set plays, Steve, all the time at Dundee United. And we took a quick throw in. And Paul Sturrock is an unbelievable centre-forward. And, and that guy, his touch is its like Velcro. You put the ball to his foot for any angle, any height, and it normally stuck to him. On this occasion, it came firing off his foot. And I just wonder if it was the tension of the, the game. And it fired back at me, and I just reacted. I didn't know what I was doing, to be perfectly honest. I just reacted to the ball coming back to me so quickly. And I hit it, and it was one of them I thought, that's going in. And I just couldn't believe it. And I watched Zuby Zaretta and he was backpedalling and I thought, wow. And I was in the flight of the ball and I couldn't believe it. I never even ran far to celebrate. The, the lads were all jumping on me and they were shouting, what a fluke, what a fluke. <laughs> I thought, I, I meant it. I don't know. And to be fair, the more I've watched it and, and over all these years, and it's it's my most famous goal around the world, I must admit, uh, because it was against Barcelona. But... Uh, no, to, to just to do that and get us a 1-0 lead to go to Spain because we got battered. Uh, I must admit, we got battered. Lineker missed a sitter. Mark Hughes missed an opportunity. You know, and you're thinking, oh my God, are we going to survive it? We did. And we went to Barcelona and everybody had written us off. And we went over there and beat them 2-1. So, and I think we've still, Dundee United still have a claim to fame over Barcelona in European competition. Is the only British club 
to beat Barcelona home and away. Wow. So that's a good feat for a small club in Scotland. Fantastic, mate. Yeah, great stuff. And, um, you know, as you say, I mean, Newcastle, of course, beat them 3-2 in that infamous game. The team yeah. got the hat-trick. But, uh, yeah, to beat them home and away, not many teams can say they've done that full stop. I know, I know. And it, it was great for us. And for me, you know, I was a young lad and you're in the side and I just couldn't believe it. You just you just get carried away because some of the guys that I was playing with had already played in the European semi-final. And had it not been, as we found out years later, for a referee given a brown paper bag from the Italians, uh, realistically, we would have actually got to the final against Liverpool. And you never know what might have happened there, but at the end of the day, it never happened. And, you know, that's been the last final Europe that, that Dundee United got into, and it was a great team to be part of. Mark Taylor says, you've got a great shirt collection on your Twitter header. He's, he's asking <laughs> which one is your favourite shirt. Oh, my God, I've got loads. I mean, my... My first, my cup final Dundee United shirts. Something about the tangerine and black, I like them. Uh, my Newcastle brown, New, your Newcastle shirt, I love that one. Uh, just because it's got Newcastle brown on it, and I just love that. Uh, my first Scotland shirt. It's just all, all my firsts, really. Uh, every single shirt, you know, and they all, they all mean something to me. You know, the collection I have, I had, is unbelievable. Uh, you know. And I just thought, I didn't really start collecting shirts until really late on at, at, at Blackburn. So there wasn't kind of many shirts swapping. And, and Blackburn came in with a rule of if, if you, you get four shirts a season and you're thinking, well, hold on, how many here? There's 20 clubs in the league. So you end up having to buy them all. So me being the tight Scotsman, there's no way I was buying shirts. I didn't swap them. Brilliant. <laughs> Mark's second part of his question, he says, Newcastle and its fans have always been an intense place. Players like Nicky Butt, Jermaine Jennings described it like a goldfish bowl where there's no escape. He says, did you feel it was different to other clubs and how did you cope? It was different. Uh, the only way I can put Newcastle is it's black and white. It's true to their colours. You know, when you win, you're loved. When you get beat, you're hated but loved. And that's the way the people up in Newcastle took it. You know, I, I lived up there and I moved in at Heading on the Wall and it was great. You know, we socialised together as a team when we went out. And, I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. You were a superstar. You know, at Blackburn, yeah, it was a club where I've been and we win the league. And you've got a smaller amount of fans, probably, I mean, 50% less than what Newcastle was. For me, it was going to a massive club for me. You know, I played Newcastle many times. I knew about the club. I thought, wow, it's all right. It's a big club. Once I was inside, I couldn't believe the size of it, Steve. It was massive. And that, to me, was, wow. Find out about the club and find out about the people. I thought, well, me being me, I just have to work hard at it. I think they like people that work hard. I looked at the, the team that had yeah, the Spreas, Ferdinand's, knowing Shearers. I played with Shearers, so I kind of get a gist of, how Newcastle would play under Kevin Keegan, the Gleish, under Ruth Hullett, how it went sour. And then Bobby Robson came in. And that opportunity to me, I, I couldn't say no. Uh, the only thing was I forgot to look at the league table before I said yeah. And <laughs> that might have changed that a little bit because I'd just been relegated for Blackburn. And uh, I really, I, I wasn't for sure for, for leaving Blackburn, but the manager that came in just never got on and we never seen eye to eye. So it was time to leave. But, for me, when Newcastle came in, 
you can't say no. For me, I, I could not say no to Newcastle. I was, I was a 33 years old and I'd just been to a World Cup, come back, I was flying high and you know what I mean? And uh, it was just a shame I didn't get as many games uh, as I'd hoped and didn't score as many goals as I'd hoped. Yeah, uh, you can see on the timeline, I'm sure you've seen it. A lot of people appreciated the effort and, you know, a lot of people say, you know, they wish they had somebody similar to you in the team now because uh, I think you, I think you realise as well, it, it's what Newcastle, it's the one thing Newcastle fans demand. It's just putting effort in, which really should just be a given by players. Yeah, I mean, that's always been my philosophy. You know, you can you can cover a thousand sins. You know, I'm, I'm from a football family, so I was getting hints and tips from from people of telling you how to mask bad performances and, and to mask a bad performance is to work hard for the team. Don't let them down. You might let them down with your technical ability on that day. Don't let them down with your work rate. So that philosophy I carried through all my career and, and the way that I played. And I think when Sir Bobby seen that up close, he kind of thought, oh, he's, he's going to run himself into the ground and kept subbing me. And I just realised when I was doing a bit of homework history on myself with Newcastle that round about 70 to 79 minutes, it was Sir Bobby Robson's magic time of get Kevin Gallagher off. And um, I kind of find that a bit strange because I didn't realise I came off as many times. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Somebody's just mentioned in the chat as well, um, they've, got this, they've got an image of you coming off against West Ham for Fumaka. Um, of all players, you know what I mean? I mean, it's just crazy, isn't it? But that's sometimes it gets into the mindset even of managers like Bobby Robson. Yeah, it does. It does. I don't think I came off for Fumaka, by the way. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Fumaka came on for Rob Lee. We were 2 yeah. 0 up yeah. against West Ham, and he came on for Rob Lee. And honestly, it was uh, what we should have done is we should have got buckets and buckets and buckets of sand and just thrown it down for him so he could play his own football. But uh, I think the turning point of that, that, that match was uh, me and Big Fergie got subbed not long. It might be a double substitution, actually, that they'd done. And next thing we know, that West Ham got two goals. Uh, it was a bit uh, disappointing, to be fair, because we were battering them up to that point. But unfortunately, I think Rob got injured uh, just just after half-time and, and Fumaka came on. And I think that might have been his one and not many appearances. Yeah, that's right. I think you're right. Billy Trey asks a question. He says, I was at your English debut at Forest for the first leg of the League Cup semi for Coventry, uh, for, for Coventry was it? Coventry, yeah. yeah. Did what? facing and being kicked by Stuart Pearce so many times make you think you should have stayed at Dundee United? Pearce would have, yeah. should have been, he said he would have been sent <laughs> off five times in today's game. It was. It was a massive eye-opener. Uh, I should have actually clicked on it, Steve, I must admit, uh, in the dressing room at the team talk. When... John Sillett was going through players and going through the team and, and talking about the team. And we were going out the door to the, the start of the match. And he's, he's like, all the best, all the best, all the best. And he just went to me, take care of me, man. And I never clicked. I went out and never realised that. I thought, you just said to me, take care. Why? And I went out and I remember it as plain as day. We got a throw-in down the right-hand side. And Brian Burroughs took a throw-in. And I checked my shoulder. And Stuart Pearce is five yards off me. He's let it bounce, and as the ball's bouncing, I've turned my head back. I've controlled it and laid it the ball back to Brian Burrows, and he took me just above the waist. And I thought, oh, my God, who is this guy? And um, I learned very quickly how to jump, how to run, how to do somersaults, how to avoid tackles uh, just because of that one game. But it was a baptism of fire, uh, I must admit, uh, to play against him. Uh, I think I handled it well. 
but uh, I certainly know when Stuart Pearce appreciated how good a player I was when I scored the hat trick against him in the League Cup after the two years of winning it, uh, and then they came to Highfield Road and I scored the hat trick. And I think it was that day really that Stuart Pearce appreciated like I wasn't going to roll over because he had a nickname of Psycho, and uh, it took a few games to get to that far. But you know, going back to the first game, it done me, and I was to be fair, it slowed me up a little bit. But I remember Mickey Jen had just rolled a pass to me. It was, oh, it was, it was one, it was a horror pass. And I looked at it and I looked at Stuart Pierce and he just came through it. And I ended up, I was looked like I was going to put my foot in the ball and I stepped back. And Stuart Pierce just went straight under me with the ball, straight into the stand. And I just looked and I thought, and he turned around with a big smile on his face. And I thought, if I had just stopped that ball, I was out of it. Uh, and I thought, this guy is a nutter. And then after the game, uh, John Sillett patted me in the back. How's the back? And so And he went, well done, me man, because Psycho was after you. And I went, who? He went, Psycho. Says, That's his nickname, because he's mad. And I thought, <gasps> that was it. Welcome to English football for me. Definitely welcome to English football. That's that's no no doubt about it. Uh, Stu Penman says he, he's just looking forward to this. He says uh, you you know you gave your all for our club and that's all that anybody could ask for. Andrea says what did Kevin think of Shola Amiobi? He says I'll always remember that faithful Saturday, 9th of September, two thousand, when Shola came for Kevin to make his debut versus Chelsea. We were also on top of the table before the game and Viali was sacked after it. So what what was your take on Shola? Because you know, he was one who probably split fans' opinions. He, he was, you know, he's known up here now as the, you know, the, the Mackham destroyer. Um, yeah. You know, because he, his goals always seem to be against Sunderland. Well, that's the best way of saving him, isn't it? He saves yeah. his goals to Sunderland. But no, Shola was a young a young player coming through and bags of talent, you know, with Paul Robinson at that time as well, I think, at the time. And then we sold Big Duncan to Everton. So we were kind of getting thin and then we got uh, Cordoni came in, didn't he? And Shola was coming through. And the talent, to be fair, I thought he was a talented kid. Uh, I think and thought he could get better and should have been better uh, for Newcastle. You know, I thought he, I know he's a Newcastle legend as he is anyway, but, you know, I thought he could have gone up there because the kid could score goals. He was a tall guy, great ball control, you know. Um, and it's just, it's just one of those things that sometimes. You're at a club, and it's your home club, and you you need help. And I think that was at the time he was starting his career at Newcastle, when Newcastle was trying to rebuild uh, and go places. And I think he could have, if he'd have been there a couple of years earlier under Aspreas and things like that, and came into that squad of boys, I think he would have been tuned up to a better player. But to go and play international football as he did as well, just showed that he hit the dizzy heights of it. Spenny was asking you a question on Twitter. You uh, kindly said you would answer it tonight. Uh, best team for best team performance that you played in? Man United. We beat them three 0 uh, I must admit, I think all through my career, I scored against Man United in goals and drawn against them, but I don't think I'd ever beaten them. That was at Coventry and and, and also at Blackburn. Uh, and to to come to Newcastle and beat them three 0 and I don't mean beat them three 0 I mean batter them three 0 uh, and be part of that game, you know, big Duncan battered uh, Jack Stam. Fair, I mean, we were just phenomenal that day. And uh, to get that result, and and the girls, my my daughters, like at that time, like 
were kind of growing up in the back of the Spice Girls and, and David Beckham and they were like, oh, and, and just telling them all, I tackled David Beckham at Man United, playing Man United and we beat them and all that. And they said, do you know? All right. And they can't believe they actually played against guys like that. But that game for me was, for me, it was a great performance. But we had others. Uh, Spurs, we beat Spurs at Christmas. Uh, I think it was, was it 5-0, 6-0, one or something like that. And uh, I think that was a great performance, you know, an unbelievable one. I think they had Ginola playing for him at Spurs. He may have scored, actually. But, uh, I mean, I think that was another performance. But there was, I think it was about four or five performances that we played. But for me, the one that always stuck out was beating Man United. Yeah, no no surprise there at all. Uh, Joe Walker says, Kevin, you played for some top managers. How good was Sir Bobby and what was it that was so special about him? Wow, what was good about it? I was, the only thing it is, I mean, so Bobby was fantastic. Fantastic for me was, uh, you know, for me coming up and, and not actually, uh, even though I had a house in Newcastle, I was commuting quite a bit as well. Um, and he was fantastic for me. He looked after me really well that way. Um, I wish I'd actually met him 10 years earlier. Uh, his enthusiasm at that time was, was fantastic. Um, his knowledge was magnificent in picking his brains and, and the help that he would give you and put an arm around you uh, and also get you mixed up with the likes of Kieran Dyer. I don't know how he could do that, but he did. So little things like that just mean a lot. And that's what he did. And the only downside was he never done his homework when I, my second year of my contract, because I was hoping to get a third year at Newcastle. Uh, but he thought I was moving back to the Northwest. He thought I had a club and that was the only downside of it. But, it didn't sour anything, you know, he spoke to me about it and he was quite surprised when I said to him, I said, well, I don't have a club. I said, so basically I'm getting released. Um, and he just went, oh, if I'd have known that, and that was it really. So that was all the conversation we had at the end. But I wish I'd worked under it. He's, he brought a lot of knowledge. He, basically him, Mick, Wad, Mick Wadsworth at the time, uh, basically the ones that kind of encouraged me to get into coaching. Uh, and understand the game a little bit better as well and I started all sort of coaching stuff back then uh, under day two as well so it was it was great fun great to learn and it was a learning experience and even though he, he put me in a bench in some of the games and things like that he thought very very highly of me for, for someone of my age to run about as much as I did and for the enthusiasm that I showed in the training pitches um, it helped get a lot of the, the dead beats out shall we say Tom Dixon says, what was your biggest disappointment in a Newcastle shirt? Oh, I think it was the day before we played Chelsea in the semi-final of the Cup. Uh, first, I'd got in the FA Cup. Um, I had dreams about playing in an FA Cup final. Um, and Chelsea were the team that were going to be in the middle. And we went down to London and we were practising penalty kicks. So I'm going to be one of the penalty takers should it go that far. And... Here's me, I put Shea Given the wrong way and unfortunately I pulled my thigh muscle at the same time and I thought, how do I tell the manager this, that I've actually pulled my thigh? So I kind of discreetly limped away and pulled him aside and says, Gaffer, I says, I can't do it tomorrow now. He says, I've pulled my thigh. And he, went, he, just, he just put his hands in his head like, and a lot of the players I think were disappointed as well, like, because I think that was an opportunity that I didn't want to pass out on because I believed it. Had I been fit, I could have helped the team beat Chelsea that day. 
Yeah, I would agree. Uh, fantastic day, big opportunity, but uh, just wasn't to be the jinx or the curse, as people call it. Struck again. Uh, Joe Walker says, what was your favourite place in uh, Newcastle for a pint? Oh, Big Stevie's, Big Stevie's joint. I'm trying to think of the name of it now. It's just up the, the Black Bull and Barrack Road. That's the one. That's the one. Oh, something a good Christmas do in there one year, if I remember rightly. Just Were remember it. Fancy dress? Uh, no, we no, we didn't do fancy dress that year, which was quite strange, uh, as I imagine, because the lads used to do the fancy dress thing. But uh, no, we didn't do fancy dress. But put it this way, we we had good fun and. I, I can't remember how I got home, but I got home and it was a, it was a great night, I believe. Yeah, OK. Uh, Tom Dixon again coming in with, uh, if you were Newcastle manager, uh, which player would you sign if money was no object? Oh, even, I mean, I, I might try and buy three of them. I'd go, I'd try and get Messi in there. Then I would go Ronaldo for my second place and then I would take Ibrahimovic and I'd just go all out attack. Just feed day three and you'll score goals and you'll beat them. And it's a Kevin Keegan philosophy. You know, we'll beat them 4-3, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's the way I would go. But, you know, I, I'm a Messi fan. Uh, a small player, talented guy. He's my number man, one man in the world. And, you know, I mean, even at his ripe old age, you could still, you know, you could still build a team around him. We did it at Blackburn with, with Alan. We built a team around Alan Shearer and, and it won us the league, you know, and... Uh, Barcelona built a team around Messi and, and they've, they've been doing it for many years Yeah, OK, good stuff uh, Lucas says um, What's your thoughts on the summer transfer window? We obviously have a lot of players running out of contract Looks like we don't have much money to spend either because our squad is and our squad is poor as it is I mean, I suppose, Kevin it depends on what division we're in and who owns the club, doesn't it? <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of things in there with that one, isn't it? Yeah, it's true it depends on the owners. It depends if we're going to release finance, uh, if the owners stay, where you are in the league, if you're in the Premier League, it's a bigger attraction. If you go to the Championship, you basically the players that are out of contract will be out of contract. I don't think they'll be signing. It's as simple as that. Uh, and then whoever comes in there, if the manager's still there, if Steve Bruce has still got that job, then how does he try and keep the players? But, you know, it's, it's a hard, hard league Uh and you, I mean, teams can take points. I mean, I watch Burnley and people talk about Burnley and they're taking points off teams at the top of the table as well. So you can do it on your day and it's just believing that you can do it on your day and having that faith because, you know, I, I watch Fulham who look like they've been struggling and they just won the other night as well to, to catch up and put pressure on Newcastle. But, I mean, fingers crossed, they've got enough fighting spirit in there and it's, uh, they can battle their way out of it. But, the, the transfer window in the summer it depends on, on what's going to happen at the football club Joe Walker wants to know how good was Alan Shearer ah, he was alright wasn't he he was okay <laughs> he was okay uh, no Al to be fair I mean I, I I joined Blackburn when Alan got an injury to to help Blackburn boost up the league and get back up the league in the first season in the Premier League and sort of take the place of Alan until he was ready and we didn't know how long he would be and you know what I mean but to actually go and when he got himself fit and train with him and see what he was like and at that time at Blackburn he believed and, and I mean he believed he was a number 10 and the boys were saying no 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 Alan you are a centre forward you are the best centre forward no I'm a number 10 I like to play with a big guy he says you could play with a big guy a little guy it doesn't matter you are like the mainstay number 9 guy that I would class yourself as so it doesn't matter if if it was Mike Newell or Chris Sutton, 
or whoever it was going to be, Les Ferdinand, they would, you would move around. Alan would always be that main striker. And for me, the way he scored goals, uh, the way he struck the ball, I mean, I tried it many times in training to cock him. I couldn't do it. How he controlled it, the power in his legs, but the technique they had was brilliant. And, you know, I know everybody's a different type of striker, different finishers, and, you know, and, and Alan was one of them. And to be able to play alongside him for was it, three or four seasons at Blackburn and a couple of seasons at Newcastle, for me, it's, it was a dream come true for me because, for me, he's the best goal scorer I've ever played with. And I've played with Ali McCoy's, Morris Johnson's, you know, I've played with all these guys and the Chris Sutton's in the world. And, but for scoring goals, um, for me, Alan was one of the best, the best that I've played with. Yeah, I would uh, say he's probably the uh, the best forward I've ever uh, ever had a chance to see. My favourite player, of course, was Peter Beardsley. Um, you know, def- definitely my favourite Newcastle player of all time. Uh, Jeff just says, top player, Kevin, always give 100%. Thanks for that. I just wish some of our present players would take a leaf out of your book. Many thanks again. Uh, Joe Walker says, what advice would you give to Joe Linton? I mean, obviously, price tag's not his fault, um, but lack of effort last season uh, meant that his critics had a, had a field day, me included. But this season, there's been signs of life. Um, you know, that it's still not £40 million player, but what, what advice would you give to somebody who, who struggles like that? Well, there's, there's, there's a saying in it. Uh, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And Joe Linton's a talent. But if he doesn't work hard, it's never going to work. And if the penny drops with him and he works harder, then his talent will shine through. And that, for me, I've seen glimpses of him. And, you know, I think he's got the talent, but I just think sometimes... I've, I've seen a player do that. Kevin Davis came to Blackburn for $7 million price tag. And it's, it does weigh people down, even though... It's not there and it's not their problem. It sometimes subconsciously weighs you down in your head and you can go on somewhere else and have a great career as Kevin Davis did. Joe Linton, for me, is different. He's a talented player. He needs to do the work side of it. And when he does the work side of it, I think both of them will come together. And there's a player there. But it's time. And you can't wait till tomorrow. It has to be yesterday. And it's just about working hard for me. Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, good luck to him on that. Though I think it's uh, it's going to be an uphill battle for him. Kieran Dyer, proper player or overrated? Proper player, good player, talent, unbelievable. Uh, unfortunately, when he was at Newcastle, when I was there, he had a lot of shin splint problems. Couldn't see the best of him. But when when Kieran played, sometimes he was unstoppable. Um, he was quick. He was sharp. Eye for goal. Um, but it could be a pain in the backside as well at times, and is sometimes you just needed to kick him up the backside. But it came went the other way. We go in a huff sometimes, and you had to try and get him out of it. So you spent half the time trying to get him out of a huff, and then it spoiled sort of the game sort of thing. But what a player he was, a talented kid. But in my time there, he had a lot of shin splint problems, and, and he struggled with the, the pain of them. Yeah, I mean, you know, there was no question there was a player in there. Um, as you say, it's just unfortunately, uh, you know, some of these players, especially players who, who, who are quick, can get a lot of uh, a lot of injuries. And uh, you did like a night out, Kieran, as well, mind. That's uh, that's got to be said. Uh, Alex Brett says, "I met you. I met you, Kevin, at Croydon Park Hotel when we were at Wimbledon away. You were stood next to Big Al, who had asked for a ticket, and you convinced him to give me two. Great day, apart from losing two 0 
<laughs> I bet you wish you'd never gotten the tickets now. <laughs> uh, here's a good one. Tim Ken says, in your Blackburn days, people accused Jack Walker bought the title. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, that was it's often been levelled at Blackburn. I mean, um, you know, that the, the bought their way to the title. What what's your views? Who's not bought the title? Man yeah. United bought the title. Let me look at Leicester. You know what I mean? They've bought a title. The, the money they spent on players to buy it. You know, Man City, they've bought a title. Everybody. I think the problem people had, they were jealous at that time of uh, a working man who sold his business, made a fortune, put it into his football club. Uh, it's not just about that. It's about the business side of it. And the business side of it that he did is he bought players. Okay, yes, he spent 3.3 million on a Shearer, 5 million on a Sutton. He spent uh, two and a half million on a Batty. Yes, people will always bring that up, but we still didn't spend as much as what Man United did to, to win leagues. But what Kenny did was he bought the players that he thought would fit a jigsaw and put that jigsaw together to win the league. And he had a five-year span and a five-year idea. And that's what Jack had. We'd done it in three, which was unbelievable. And that's why I think people were jealous of a small-town club beating all the city big boys. And Rightly so, because when the first season in the Premier League, they finished fourth, second, and then first. So that showed that Blackburn meant business. But then it all went pear-shaped after that, um, as everybody knows about. And I mean, a few years later, we, we were back down to the championship again. But, you know, it was it was great while it was happening at the football club. Yes, people said it could have been bought. But for me... Everybody's buying the league. Man City, I mean, that's the biggest one. The millions of pounds they're spending. Yeah, it's crazy the money these days. Captain Keithard says, thanks for everything you did, Kevin. Who was the best player at Newcastle that you played with? Oh, there was quality talent there. People don't realise it, you know. Um, Gary Speed was unbelievable, you know. I mean, I played against Gary on a few occasions and didn't realise how good he was until I actually played with him and trained with him and seen the professionalism of him. You know, you had Rob Lee, you know, you look at Shearer. <laughs> I mean, I can, he just rhymed it. These are quality players. You had uh, a guy called Silvio Marich. <laughs> and, Silvio, and, and, and Steve, don't get it wrong, when I signed for Newcastle, my friend back in Glasgow uh, watched Celtic versus um, Croatia Zagreb, I think it was, um, and uh, Silvio played for him at the time and absolutely annihilated Celtic. And he phoned me up when he knew that I was signing and, and Silvio was a player and he phoned me up and says, Kevin, can you get me his autograph? And two weeks later, I realised that Silvio wasn't trying for Newcastle and I phoned my mate back up and I says, your autograph's in the bin because he's wasting the time here at Newcastle. He's a talented player, but he just didn't want to do it. And it was that old work ethic. He didn't want to work hard at it, but he was a talented player. But... Newcastle had a lot of talent in there uh, and the thing was, it was just putting that together and unfortunately, I think Rude Hullet at the time had mangled it uh, and got wires confused really and so Bobby had to go in there and, and try and untie it really and, and do things and for me, I was fortunate because I was his first signing um, and my job was to go in and try and see what was happening and I knew what was happening right away. I went into the dining room and we all ate together. And the first thing that I seen was there was a, a table of the senior English pro, British pros. There was a, a small a table of the younger English pros. 
and then there was a table of the South Americans, a table of the Europeans, and everything was split up. There was nothing, there was no togetherness, there was nothing uh, like that. And that was the side of it that had to change, and fortunately uh, it happened. We had a guy called Nobby Solano, as everybody knows, an absolute legend at Newcastle. And we Nobby just wanted to be British. He wanted to be actually a Geordie. He he wanted to be like that. And it was brilliant. And Nobby just is he was part of it and, and managed to we start to split the tables up and, and mingle everybody about to try and get at least a team together that would play together. And and that to me happened and it weaned out the ones that didn't really want to play for, for Newcastle at that time and Sir Bobby and, and that got them all out and everybody knows who they were and uh, then you all of a sudden we, we see that we start to get a team together again. Joe Walker says, what advice would you give to Mike Ashley and Steve Bruce if they called you tomorrow? He says, apart from packing their bags. Uh, I mean, look, uh, what advice would you what advice would you give to Brucey, you know, in the position that he finds himself in? Because there's a lot of people... They made a big thing of this. I'm sure you saw it on the media. Newcastle, well, on social media, at least anyway. A lot of Newcastle fans saw this, you know, Steve Bruce laughing and joking. Now, look, we know he knows everybody at Man United. He's a Man United legend, really. Um, you know, he's close to the people at the club. Any any photo can be taken out of context. But coming off after another defeat, Newcastle, you know, heading towards relegation, it upset the supporters. And, you know, they just don't want to see him laughing and joking. They want to see results. And, uh, you know, what, what advice would you give him in the current situation? Just keep working hard. Um, you know, keep the guys in the training pitch working hard. Um, keep your philosophy going. Uh, believe in your philosophy you know that's what you've got to do because as soon as you start changing your mind things can go even worse pear shaped and going back to the photograph as well Steve you know I mean people can I mean I remember seeing it watching a game uh, and you kind of think oh just having a joke but that's what you do after a game normally the managers go unlucky well done and yeah, alright I'll see you for a, a glass of wine back in the office if we get a chance and nowadays you can't do that I mean, you, you can't actually mix so I mean, you just have a chat going down that line, that touchline, and unfortunately somebody in a camera catches that and it gets misconstrued, and I can see why the fans were, were unhappy with it because they'd just been beaten and, and you're laughing and joking with the opposition manager. But as we all say, that game's over now. He's been beaten. He's got to now correct it and get it for the next match, and, and that's what he's thinking about now. So he's there thinking, well, we guys were done well second half. Because I thought Newcastle were better in the first half. Yeah. Uh, okay. uh, the second half Man United just stepped up a little gear and got a battle up so that side of it for me just don't change his philosophy keep working hard and, and keep your head down and hopefully things might change for him OK Alex Brett says who was your favourite strike partner? <laughs> See the question it was very they're all difficult to answer you know I had I probably it's really weird like, obviously I, I love playing with Alan uh, there's no doubt about it because I knew that if I'd go wide and cross the ball in the box from a, a run for a striker's point of view I knew that Alan would be there um, so to play alongside somebody like that was, was brilliant but my, I had my two best goal scoring seasons one with a striker called Mixu Patalainen mm-hmm. and another with Chris Sutton and that's really strange how I've scored all my goals my most goals ever in a season with, with those guys and not with Alan but um, unfortunately, I think the season that I think Alan and I would hit it off was the season that I broke my leg because we just started to, to get together 
and really we were hitting it off. Um, and I think that was the time that, unfortunately, I broke my leg and we went out at the end of the season, I think, and we went and bought Chris Sutton. And as I say, the GES obviously must have stunk because they brought in the SES to do the job. Yeah, okay. Uh, good stuff. Great listen, lads, says Looney Tune does. Uh, Phil Shuttleworth says Stephen Gerrard's doing a great job at Rangers this season. Uh, would he be a good shout for our new manager if, if the takeover goes through, or do you think he'll end up going to somewhere like Liverpool and replacing Klopp eventually? Well, it'll be interesting, you know, uh, to go to Rangers and do what he's done. Uh, he's caught Celtic on the hop. I think Celtic took it, took it for granted there was going to be 10 in a row. Uh, but they're doing a good job up there. Uh, good philosophy. At the moment, for him to go to Liverpool, I can't see that at the moment. Uh, but when do you give him an opportunity? Uh, that's the question. Uh, you look at Frank Lampard, he went to Derby. He took a lot, a lot of loan players at Derby in the Championship and they've done really, really well. Um, and Derby have struggled since he left there and took over a Chelsea job. And look at the job he was doing at Chelsea. I thought he was doing all right. Um, but it was only all right. And Chelsea don't demand all right. They demand better. And now he's out of a job. So for me, I think Stephen Gerrard at the minute, if he could take Celtic, uh, take Rangers on a run and keep the, the results away from Celtic, uh, that opportunity will arise, whether it becomes a big club in the Premier League like in Newcastle or whether it becomes a big club in the future like going to Liverpool again where he's an absolute legend. I'm sure he'll get an opportunity in the Premier League if he can keep winning the leagues with Rangers. Alan Coleman on Twitter says, did Kevin Keegan or Kenny Daglish ever make an approach for Kevin when they were Newcastle manager? And would he have left Blackburn at that point for Newcastle? No, I think... Uh, no, not Kevin Keegan, certainly no. Uh, I don't think, I don't recall any approach for Newcastle back then with Kevin... Uh, Kenny at that time, I think I just, I, I was going, I was, I think I'd retired actually when Kenny took the managerial at Newcastle. Uh, it's just a shame that the age I was actually at. Yeah, uh, David Crone says Koisty and Shearer are brilliant crack. Who was the funniest player? <laughs> well, there's loads. Uh, Jason Wilcox in the Blackburn dressing room. Uh, you just hear your own voice travelling across the dressing room, you're thinking, who's that? It sounds like me. And it was Jason Wilcox. He he mimicked everybody. Uh, he had Ray Harford down to the, the ground, Kenny uh, down to the ground. He, he was he was that type of uh, comedian. Uh, he For me, that, that he was probably the best one that, that I've come across for a long time. Yeah, uh, just an update on tonight's game. Leeds three, Southampton nil now um, in the in the Premier League. Uh, funny team, Leeds hit or miss, aren't they? Uh, one one week they're getting beat three nil, the next week they're winning three nil. But entertaining nonetheless. Dunnell says, question for Kevin: Who was the toughest centre back you played against? Uh, Tony Adams, mm. I think probably uh, for me. Tony Adams. There was lots of centre halves that, that weren't as good as Tony Adams, and they were quite difficult. Like people like Keith Purrell when he was at Man City, uh, just because he was quick, he wasn't the best defender, uh, but he always seemed to get back and last-ditch tackles and little things like that. But for me, Tony Adams, um, Stuart Pearce was another one um, who, when I first came to England, and, but once I knew what it was all about, I, 
I just had to be able to read the game a little bit quicker, which I did and, and get it better. And, uh, but Tony Adams, for me, for five minutes, chased you everywhere. He just chased you everywhere. Went down your Achilles, not just once, but with three or four times. And he would pick you up and apologise. And you're like, all right, no problem, big man. The next minute he's doing it again. And he's, oh, sorry, wee man, I didn't mean that again. And he walked away and you're thinking, who's the mug here? I'm just, I'm, I'm accepting this. And I just thought, no, I'm not having it. So when I used to play against Arsenal after that, after I got to know him, I used to try and retaliate first and try and kick him first because I knew he would always try and kick me. So my philosophy in England uh, was basically try and retaliate first against all the centre-halves. Big shout out to our sponsor, Spider VPN, who sponsored the, uh, the StreamYard application this month, and acutechshop.co.uk, the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls End in Newcastle. And a big shout out to John from Jab Signature, who does all of our flyers. First time visitor to the channel, subscribe, hit that little uh, button in the bottom right hand corner, give the video a like, and give it a share. Still got 20 minutes if you want to get your questions in. Uh, Ross Alexander says, Who was the worst trainer? that you've ever played alongside at Newcastle and thanks for giving your all in black and white Worst trainer I think I've got to point that at Silvio Marich yeah. um, because his, the talent that he had he just was not bothered that was in training uh, just wasn't bothered at all and you know, I remember Mr Bobby sold him it was like wow to be able to get rid of that talent because he was and you kind of started scratching my head because I, I had a talent but I mean, his, his talent I thought was a far better than mine, but for me, I ended up a far better player than him because of I worked to get to what I wanted to do. Silver so wouldn't work, work at it. And it's a lifelong saying of the talent. If it doesn't work hard, it's not going to get anywhere. And, and unfortunately for Silvio, um, I think he went downhill after that uh, Newcastle. His career just panned out. Yeah, yeah, it did. I, I, he got a bad injury. Was he? You got a bad injury at the yeah. um, at the very start of his career. He never really recovered, did he? But some foreign some foreign players struggle as well when they come into the game. Oh, they do. You know, another one as well. And I thought he was a very good, very very good player, uh, big Marcelino and, mm. and and Marcelino. But you know, I broke my arm at Blackburn and, and I played the next week uh, with a cast on, and he broke broke his finger and refused to play. I kind of found that very very strange. Uh, but that just shows the mentality and, and the way that the Europeans' mentality towards the game is compared to the difference of what we are as British players. And, you know, I wanted to, I didn't want to be dropped out of the team because I knew it was hard to get back in. So I played with Cass on. Um, he didn't want to play with a broken finger. And you think, well, you don't play with your fingers and you don't take throw-ins. Uh, but the surgeon said if I fall over and I hurt that I could lose my finger. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, because I brought this up with Mick Lowe's. We've got Mick on the show again at the weekend. Mick, of course, uh, you know, for a long time covered Newcastle United's fortunes with, uh, with uh, you know, the radio. And um, I, I did mention Marcelino in a derogatory way, it has to be said. And, and you know, I said, well, you, you know, you've got a broken finger and wouldn't play. Mick actually said that the injury he had was quite substantial. Um, you know, he says it was a bad injury, but I'm like you. I still find it... You know, I find it hard how he couldn't have played with a cast on, you know. But I think that shows the mentality. I think you're right, Kevin. You know, you're a Scottish lad and sometimes these, these players from abroad maybe aren't as tough as the lads born in Scotland. Yeah, I think it's a weather you brought up. <laughs> I, think <that's> <laughs> I think that's what it is. Uh, David Crone says, can you ask Kevin, Andy Gray, Joe Jordan or Big Duncan Ferguson? Three different styles of players. 
Uh, I only watched Andy Gray and, and Joe Jordan uh, growing up and, and how they played really. And uh, for me, playing alongside Big Duncan, I seen Big Duncan go from a, a gangling 16-year-old left winger to a phenomenal centre-forward who never lost a header, uh, who would punch a lights out, should I say, if you got on the wrong side of him. But, you know, Big Dunk was, was a great talent, but because he was big and good in the air, teams just, we tend to actually just lump it in the air to Duncan and didn't give him credit for the way that he played on the ground. And, and Duncan hated it, uh, but it was a tag that went along with him. And I just think the three guys pointed out there, you know, there were three different talents, uh, three different types of centre-forward. Uh, Joe Jordan obviously got the most Scotland caps, was phenomenal centre-forward for the way he played for Scotland. I think Big Dunk should have got more, but unfortunately, I think Big Dunk's attitude, that side of it, didn't work out in his favour uh, because I think he would have got more international caps and I'd have probably played alongside him. Yeah, exactly. Lee Taylor says, Evening lads, Kevin, what was the reaction like in the Scotland dressing room after Gaza scored for England in Euro 96? I was waiting for that. I thought someone might throw someone in about Gaza. Oh, we were sick. Uh, no doubt about it absolutely sick and, and I think what made it worse was his celebration because it was all over uh, the media with, uh, with the what was it the dentist chair and things like that and Gaza goes and does that against his biggest rivals and you think God and it wasn't that we were sent off half Colin Henry you're trying to pick Colin up as well and it's never going to happen it has to happen against for me one of England's best midfielders with Gaza if it's ever going to happen with you somebody's going to take the mickey it's not a bad player to get the mickey taken from you, but to do talent like that, that's what Gaza was all about. You know, I've played against them many times, Scotland and England and uh, in the Leeds with Spurs and the Newcastle and things. Um, and he could do that to anybody and it's one moment of genius and that was what a moment of genius and you just think, wow. And no disrespect to it, but the celebration just killed us because all we get told was, don't behave like England don't behave like England and it still rattles on in my head to this day we should have behaved like England because we might have beat them yeah uh, yeah I remember that it was a hell of a hell of a, hell of a goal and a hell of a celebration and uh, constantly played time and time again uh, Tim C says what was your funniest story in your career funniest story in the career um, well I've got loads, loads of stories and the one that one that really got me was uh, we brought in a Daniel Cardoni at Newcastle. I'll stick to a Newcastle theme anyway. And at Newcastle, and Daniel Cardoni, and, and we were in the changing rooms at Durham, at the cricket ground at the time where we used to train. And we were in, and you put your kit down in the middle, and you'd have your shirts, your socks, uh, your underpants, and everything. It was all set out in different sections. And Daniel Cardoni wouldn't get changed. He'd still be in his training kit. And then you get in the next day and half the kit's missing. And you think, where's the kit gone? And where is it? Nobody got the kit and that. Put your other kit on and think, where's all the kit going? And didn't realise that Daniel was actually taking the kit and sending it back, all the way back to Homeland. And I thought, I can't believe us. We've got no kit to train in. And Daniel was filling his bag and it wasn't until we caught him. And they would say, Daniel, no, we have to wear it. He went, oh, no, no, it's okay, I'll, I'll take it back. And just thought he couldn't believe it. And, you know, he, he dressed like a gypsy, he acted like a gypsy. And to this day, I still say he must have lived the life of a gypsy back home. 
Crazy, crazy story. Uh, somebody did ask as well. Uh, get back to that one. Yeah, Fungo Freddy says, did you ever go out on the drink uh, with Cordoni or Acuna? And if so, what were they like when they went out on the drink? No, I never really went out with uh, We generally went out together uh, and we went out with your wives and things like that. And there's a big invitation. And, and Warren Barton, for me, Warren was the social convener, shall we say. And he got everything organised and he said, you'd always come up on the Friday and say, right, we've got a Chinese book for tomorrow. Anybody comes, let me know in the, the morning at the, at the meeting. Uh, and then we'd get numbers and, and then we'd all go out. So everybody was invited. Uh, some of the, the European South Americans would come along. Clarence Acuna would come along like the wee dram now and again. Uh, Cordoni. But realistically, the, the main stay ones was, was generally... We Nobby was the best for me. We Nobby was at every social convenience we went out at. It was there. Um, and the funniest one was when we, we went out to the Japanese restaurant that was just down from the stadium. It was absolutely fantastic. My first time of being there. And it was a great night. And with a right good few drinks, there was about 10 or 12 of us there. And uh, we were going to go to the casino. And We Nobby says, I'm going to drive. And the wives all refused. And they jumped in a taxi and left the, the lads. They thought, we can't leave Nobby. He's jumped in the car to drive. And uh, he says, I, I do this in Peru. In Peru, if the police stop me, it's okay. Because I just go into my book, pull out a ball, sign the ball and give it to them. I went, Nobby, this is England. They go, they'll put you in the boot and take you to jail. And he, and he, he was having none of it. And to be fair, it was the scariest moment I've ever done sitting in the back of a car with Nobby Solano, having a drink in him, trying to drive uh, in Newcastle. And we were only going about, I don't know, 500 metres or something like that. And I thought, never again. And that was it. So we said to him, never again. You leave the car. And you did put him in a taxi. And that was it. Everybody jumped in taxis on the way home. But so never again are we doing that in a night out. But it was brilliant. It was a great night out. And... Uh, I must admit, because I think the headache lasted till Monday afternoon after the <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Joe Walker says, what do you make of modern football, Kevin? VAR, um, the substitutions, etc. What, what do you make of it these days? Oh, it's unbelievable. Uh, where do you start? I think modern day football now, I'd love it because centre-halves can't touch you. Um, I would find it a lot easier. Uh, I'd probably score more goals, play more games, and I wouldn't be able to go up to my tricks of standing on the toes of the centre half or anything like that. I'd probably get more yellow cards. As for VAR, uh, yes, we're still talking about the game as much as we have done in the past, but I'm not a massive fan, uh, I must admit. Uh, you're going and you're waiting and you're standing around on the pitch while the referee goes away, double checks in the hand and changing the handball rule. And you, it's going back, and to me, it's spoiling a lot of things uh, as well. And those little, for me, those little striking decisions for you time a run, but your fingertip or your nail is offside. I can't fathom that anymore. It's, I just think the game is now starting to get run with guys for with shutting ties on that haven't played the game, and they're just making a rule up. And it's, and for me, it's spoiling it a little bit. And it's making the game softer. I don't think it'll be too long before it's uh, you're not allowed to touch the opposition type game. Yeah, I'd agree. Simon Horn says, I think you made your debut with Dundee against 
Are you going to attempt this? Can you say that name? Nuchatau Zamax. There we go, Zamax. Yeah, no, yeah, no. It's uh, just a, it's, I'm just going to say to Simon, it's Dundee United. Don't get it mixed up. It's Dundee United. Yeah, no, I was I was on the bench uh, for the game. Uh, it was my debut, and I'm on the bench, and I got taken to Switzerland the second leg, and I was all excited and. In the dugout, it was a concrete dugout about that thick. And I'm in the dugout and I think Ian Redford scored to take it to extra time. And I've jumped up and I've smacked my head in the dugout and I couldn't believe it. Like, And I had these lines across my eyes and I was looking down and I couldn't see my feet. I could only see forward. And I found it really, really weird. And uh, I thought, well, I'm not going to get on anyway because I'm last minute uh, with an injury. It's just filling up the squad. Like, yeah, I'm on the bench. And we got in the extra time. And I think we went into second half extra time. And the great German, Uli Stilikas, playing sweeper. And the manager just says, go on, enjoy it. Go and get us a goal if you can. And, and play on the old guy at the back. And I was like, wow. I thought, I don't want to go on. Uh, I couldn't see my feet. What happens if I get the ball? Could I see it? I don't know. So I got warmed up. Uh, I went on and I ran everywhere away from the ball. And that was my debut against Nostal's Amax. I just didn't know what that ball because I couldn't see. I didn't know at the time, but obviously I was concussed. I concussed myself when I smacked my head on the dugout. Um, and it was just one of those things. I went on and played. Played in the game. I thoroughly enjoyed the, I don't know if it was 10 minutes, I think I got in that game. Uh, but the biggest one was yet to come. And, and that was just the baptism of fire because getting into that was, was really exciting for me. But uh, we got back, and on the Friday, the manager called me into the office, and I was—I thought it was going to be about the game, about maybe my preparation for the Noise Towns Amex one, and it wasn't. He was actually preparing me for my debut in the league against Glasgow Rangers at Ibrox against 45,000 Rangers fans. And that was it, and it was just to see if I could handle the pressure. And I went in and I sold it to him. I said, yeah, I think, I believe I could. It's not going to worry me. I enjoyed playing against Noise Dallas Amax. I think playing against Rangers, it's a team I don't support. I support the, the green side. So I think it could be a good opportunity for me. So I said, right, leave it with me, but you'll be in the squad. And I turned up, and at that time, in, in Ibrox, the, the stand was open, and you could see where you'd done the warm-up. You weren't allowed to warm up on the grass. And I was getting absolute dogs abuse. The sectarianism that I was getting called was all sorts. And I thought, oh, my God, this is weird. And uh, I went out. We beat Rangers. And I never looked back. I stayed in the first team from then on. And my career just escalated to where I got to. Fantastic. Last five minutes, Alex Brett says, who was the hardest player at Newcastle? Hard, toughest, Shearer. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Alan's a gentle giant, but don't get in the wrong side of him. Um, he's a strong lad, uh, and he's, he's an utter. But Big Duncan, to be fair, before he left, uh, that would have been interesting to me, because Big Dunk, you know, I, I shared the room with Duncan when I went to Newcastle, and he's a great laugh, a nice big fella, uh, but I, I, it's one of them I always stayed on his, his, his good side, and, and that was it, but... I would like to go on the wrong side of him, but for me, you know, uh, Shearer was was a, was one of the hardest that I've come up against. That, that I would say, definite. 
Yeah, okay. Uh, Kevin says, uh, Keith says, Kevin, you were a solid player for Newcastle. What was your favourite moment of your international career with Scotland? Um, playing against Brazil in the opening game of the World Cup. Uh, something I dreamt about as a kid, playing in mum and dad's back garden, to be honest. But it was a final, uh, really. Uh, Rolls well, Scotland beat England in the semi-final in the World Cup, got to the World Cup final and play against Brazil. And that was me. I was playing there and I would score the goal and, and of course Scotland would win the World Cup in the back garden as a eight, nine, ten year old kid. Um when it came to the December before the draw in the World Cup when we qualified for ninety eight World Cup and I sat in front of the telly and the draw came up. We've got Brazil, Morocco, Norway and the opening game of the World Cup. Scotland versus Brazil. Wow, I thought second biggest game in the world, if not the biggest game in the world to be watched. Not only are you going to be watched by the people inside the stadium, it's going to be billions of people around the world watching it and you're actually playing against the world champions. And I thought, well, to do that, my my dream could come true. This this is my dream as a child coming true. The difference was it wasn't in the World Cup final. It had an S on it. It was a World Cup final. So maybe that's a part of the dream that I missed out. Still an amazing achievement uh, when you look back on it, mate. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Tom Dixon says, Kevin, do you miss playing football? Um, and what was your favourite memory? Did you play in any local derbies? Yeah, I played in Dundee, Dundee United derbies. Uh, two teams in the one city. You had to walk on the right side of the street after that one or you get dogs abuse or chased even. And they didn't think, they couldn't catch me first and foremost, but they would chase you. Uh, it wasn't nice in Dundee at that time, but I lived with family who were split, Dundee and Dundee United fans. And it was really weird because we were, a, Dundee United had always had the upper hand. And I shared a room with my cousin Kevin, who was a Dundee United fan. And in the other room, my cousin Brian and my cousin Mark uh, were Dundee fans. And the rivalry we'd have, and the banter we would have between us was brilliant. Uh, but then after the game, we'd go back. And yes, we did have computer games back then. And... Uh, I would get invited into the room to play the computer games with him, whereas the other Kevin, my cousin, no, he got bombed out because he was a United fan. I was a player, <laughs> so what that one out. But that, to me, was one of the best derbies uh, to play. And obviously, uh, Sunderland, I sat on the bench against Sunderland and, you know, I'd heard about it and I came on and, and I played against Sunderland. You thought, wow, the atmosphere for those games were just phenomenal. And, and they lasted a week long as well. Uh, they were very different. Uh, because, as I always said about Newcastle, it's black and white. And that's the way it was. It was black and white. And uh, sure loved up that way. And that was a good thing about it. And I think we drew one each, I think. Uh, it was a score, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, no, the Blackburn, I never played in a derby game for Blackburn because uh, Burnley weren't good enough at that time uh, to be in the same league as us. And probably the biggest derby of all was England, Scotland versus England. Another derby, it's just phenomenal. And I mean, my second international game was against England at Wembley. And I mean, I, I was on the bench for that game and came on, got about 15, 20 minutes. And Peter Shilton had an unbelievable save down low to his left-hand post to make sure that England beat us 1-0. But that could have maybe Rosemary in, instant starved on with Scotland. But Peter Shilton spoiled that day for me. Great stories, mate. That hour has flown over. Uh, thanks to everybody in the chat and on Twitter for some fantastic questions. Uh, 
Jules has put on uh, about Tiger Woods, yeah, tra tragedy that, um, he's okay, uh, as in he's still alive, but uh, he's uh, he's had a bad car crash, and when you look at the uh, the photographs that are circulating on social media at the minute, it doesn't look good at all, so uh, thoughts obviously with him, one of the greatest golfers uh, that's ever lived, Tiger Woods, and uh, he's been through the mill the last few years. Um, Kevin, quick one from you, message for the fans uh, who are watching, mate, it'd be great to get you back on hopefully in the summer as well, but just have you got a message for the fans watching tonight? Yeah, I would just say sit tight, keep supporting the club, because don't forget, you guys will outlast the football club. Stay behind the lads. Simple. Great stuff, mate. You've been a great servant of the club. Great to have you on, mate, and uh, thanks for your time. No, it's been a pleasure, Stephen. All the best, and, and here's to the boys uh, picking up that table and, and making it a little bit easier for all the fans. Good stuff, mate. Stay safe. Hopefully speak to you again in the summer. Take care, Kevin. Andrew, take care. Bye-bye. Uh, I'm back at nine o'clock uh, with a pre-recorded show, something a little bit different. I know a lot of you know that I like me true crime. Um, I did do a book with Charles Salvador, a poetry book. So hear me and Charles talk a little bit about the book uh, at nine o'clock. Gives you an hour's break, but uh, come back at nine o'clock. But uh, I am also back tomorrow night with a retro show. Uh, it is Wednesday night. We are looking back uh, at games against Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, so join me, Steve Wilkinson, Steve Hasty, uh, Neil Mitchell and Stu Penman tomorrow night uh, talking about games against Tottenham Hotspur. And uh, don't forget the lads from Loaded Football will be back at nine o'clock tomorrow night. Uh, they will be taking you through all of their usual uh, fun and games tomorrow night. I did mention a little bit earlier as well, I've got Mick Lowe's back on on Sunday. That'll be one until two. And don't forget as well, Thursday night, Super Mac and Gibbo. And Friday night, we will be back with the three amigos. So action-packed week as always. Hope you've enjoyed tonight's extra special show with uh, Kevin Gallagher. Big shout out to him again. And uh, I will see you all tomorrow night at six o'clock. Take care. Good night. Stay safe. Thank you.